Please open your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 52, beginning in verse 7. Isaiah chapter 52, beginning in verse 7. I almost preached on Psalm 24, but we sang it. So you got that message. There is a cosmic drama unfolding before us this morning. Around the entire world, this is unfolding. And God wants you to be shaped by it today and next Palm Sunday and next Palm Sunday and next Palm Sunday. Because on Palm Sunday, we, we rehearse and we remind ourselves of the triumphal entry of Jesus as he marches into Jerusalem at the beginning of that very first Holy Week two millennia ago. For many of us, this is not a a new story. We've heard it before time and time and time again. Yet, celebrating uh, Palm Sunday is like having the, the ancient church shout down to us through all the centuries as it says to us today, don't forget, remember his victory. So we rehearse. We remember things that we've heard many times. We remember Jesus appearing at the top of the Mount of Olives, right? And he sits on a donkey and and looking down the hill, down at the very bottom and up the ravine, he sees the temple right in front of him. He sits on this donkey and he rides down the hill and the crowds are coming and streaming along, bumping against each other and pushing and kind of shoving and trying to make their way down to the temple at the other side of the ravine. And along the way, they are singing and they're shouting Psalm 118, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. As all of this is just going on in the midst of the crowd rushing down, some from the crowd see Jesus. And they turn to him, and they they begin singing this song to him. So in the Gospel of Luke, we see this happening in Luke 19. But they change it just slightly. And as they're singing to him, they say in Luke, Blessed is the King. Blessed is the king to Jesus. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven. Glory in the highest. We know this event. I've preached on it, I think, at least eight or nine times now. But what's actually going on? Well, our text today in Isaiah 52 helps us see just one more angle on the triumphal entry of Jesus. In Isaiah 52 here, this is not just background data, trivial data for Bible Jeopardy sometime to play. Isaiah 52 calls us to something beyond the rehearsing of Palm Sunday in this this great story. So would you please stand out of respect for God's authority as we read his scriptures that he has given the church? Isaiah 52 beginning in verse 7. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him 
who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. The voice of your watchmen, they lift up their voice. Together they sing for joy. For eye to eye they see the return of the Lord to Zion. Break forth together into singing, you waste places of Jerusalem. For the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord has bared his holy arm before the eyes of all the nations. And all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. Let's pray. Father, creator of heaven and earth, since your first prophet spoke these words, you have spoken to your people century after century. By the power of your Holy Spirit, speak once again to your church today. Feed us with the living word, Christ himself, that we may be nourished, that we may be preserved for our path in this world. We pray this in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. The final week of Jesus' life begins with him riding this donkey down the mountain. And as the gospel writers describe what happens. They, they borrow images from the prophets to show us what Jesus is doing. And, and it's not to say, they're not kind of saying, look, prophecy fulfilled, check mark. It's, it's far more profound than just that, as good as that is. Jesus is bringing to life an old drama, one that recalls Isaiah and recalls Ezekiel, and recalls Jeremiah, and even Haggai and Malachi. Here in Isaiah 52, the prophet envisions someone on the mountain proclaiming good news. That is, proclaiming the gospel. This is the gospel according to Isaiah. A gospel that is then proclaimed in its fullness in the books of Matthew and Mark and Luke and John. So what Isaiah reveals about the gospel is profound in this passage. And it should reorient us here on Palm Sunday, here at the beginning of the Holy Week. Kind of marking out for us what is going on in Holy Week. What is actually Easter? How do we interpret what's coming at Easter? That begins now here in Palm Sunday. But before we get to that, we need to begin with just stepping back and asking, who is this oracle spoken to? Who's the audience here? Verse 9 tells us. So look at verse 9. This is after this gospel message is proclaimed and the the watchmen cry out in joy. And then it speaks to the audience, break forth together into singing, you waste places of Jerusalem. The waste places of Jerusalem is the one hearing this message. This oracle is for those who are in the wasteland. 
See, historically, the, the Jews found great comfort in Isaiah 52, all the way from the exile, when the exile happened, to the time of Jesus. This period was a time in which, which it seemed that God had, had left them, it, or, or so they thought he had left. It began first with the temple being destroyed by the Babylonians, and then the people are kicked out of their own land. By the time they return, the Jews had lost everything. They, they lost sovereignty over their land, and it seemed that God was no longer king over them, that some other king had won. The Romans then came and rebuilt their land, but, but during the time of Jesus, especially for many Jews, it still felt like a wasteland. The, the image that comes to my mind for, for the waste places of Jerusalem in verse 9 the image that comes to my mind is the land of Mordor. If you're not familiar with the, the Lord of Rings, the Lord of the Rings, um, you need to be. <laughs> when, when Frodo and Sam, who are two main characters in the story, when Frodo and Sam begin trekking through the land of Mordor, the land is, is barren, isn't it? It's unfertile. There's, there's death everywhere. It, it's a place where there's this described as an evil shadow kind of coming and creeping over the land, this dry and dusty land. The land of Mordor, uh, as you read in the, in the book, especially in the third volume, the land literally sucks the life out of them. They, they feel hopeless traveling through it. In Isaiah 52, verse 9, the waste places of Jerusalem are the places of the shadow, the broken dreams. It's dry and it's withered. God seems distant there. It's a place confusing to to navigate amid the rubble and the ruins. The world feels very uncertain in the wasteland. You know, many, many can identify with this as, as we look around the real world before us. We're thinking of just Ukraine right now that was prayed for. It's, it's into this kind of broken world. It's into this kind of wasteland that the prophet calls out in verse 7. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. See, in the Bible, good news tends to only come in the roughest and most despairing moments of the biblical storyline. Those in the wasteland look up from the ruins of Jerusalem, the ruins of their life, and see high up in the sky, on the mountaintop, someone bringing good news. In the midst of the wasteland, hope comes trickling down the mountain. And it changes, it changes everything. See, verse 7 just explodes with beauty. The good news is about peace. It's about 
happiness, or, or better translated, it's about goodness. And it's about salvation. The image the prophet gives here in verse 7 is of a messenger who, who is, uh, he's, he's running kind of from the battlefield to deliver a report to an official. And, and you have this sense that the official is just kind of waiting anxiously, wondering when the messenger is going to show up and, and wondering, is, is anyone alive? Did, did the enemy triumph? Or did, did, we, did we win? This particular messenger in verse 7 runs and he arrives and he gives good news. The good news of victory. That's what salvation in verse 7 and in verse 10 means. It's better rendered as victory, the victory of God. What is this, what is this victory? Things are, things are still a little bit uh, unclear what it is until we get to the last line in verse 7. And this last phrase, you should know, is, is actually set apart in the original text. It's set apart in, in, in such a way that the entire verse is kind of running down the hill at this final statement where we read, one who says to Zion, your God reigns. Or we could translate, your God is king. All that peace, all that goodness and happiness and all the victory promised is all kind of wrapped up now in that phrase, your God reigns. This is really good news for the weary soul trekking through a land like Mordor, the waste places of Jerusalem. Thinking again about Frodo and Sam, one passage in particular ha- has always gripped me when they're, when they're going through Mordor. It, it comes after they've been climbing for days over the rocks and through the mountainous regions. And at one point, they become so exhausted that they all but collapse on a little kind of rock uh, shelf to sleep, hiding behind some bramble bushes. Despair in the text kind of just hangs over them. Their, their task uh, through Mordor, begins just to feel to them like, like a death sentence over them. Frodo falls asleep on this rock shelf, and then Sam comes kind of crawling out of the hiding place to, to look out over Mordor in the pitch darkness. And as he looks out, despair is just upon him, and he fears kind of the, the creeping shadow of evil in the land. As, he, as he's looking out at this moment with despair, suddenly he, he looks up and he sees in the skyline the mountains of Mordor at the boundary parts. And he sees right up above them, peeping high up above the mountains, a white star twinkling. Here's then what we read that comes right at that moment. The beauty of the star smote his heart as he looked up out of the forsaken land and hope returned to him. For like a shaft, clear and cold, the thought pierced him that in the end, the shadow was only a small and passing thing. There was light and high beauty forever beyond its reach. 
Now for a moment, his own fate and even his master's ceased to trouble him. The good news of Isaiah 52 is like that star that appears in Mordor to Sam. This is the sound of victory that those ancient people of God desperately needed to hear. God who seemed so far away. God who seemed not to care anymore. God who seemed to not be king anymore. He's back. We see this also in the immediately preceding verse. Look at verse 6 just before our text. Therefore, my people shall know my name. Therefore, in that day, they shall know that it is I who speak. Here I am. And then in the very following verse, as as this proclamation goes out, that God has become king again, verse 8, the voice of your watchmen, they lift up their voice. Together they sing for joy. For eye to eye they see. They see. What is it they see? They see the return of the king. They see him coming back, hope reborn, a star in the mountain. If here on Palm Sunday, you feel like you're in the wasteland, take comfort. Despite what you see around you, despite what you see in the headlines, God has returned. He's back. This is what Palm Sunday is about. This is what Palm Sunday is mainly about. This is what Jesus is conveying when he's riding on this donkey, coming down a Judean hillside called the Mount of Olives. And in Luke 19, the text says they're crying out, here comes the king. They say, peace and glory. Thinking Isaiah 52 and other texts like that. In the midst of his people sitting in the waste places, Jesus comes and announces peace and goodness and victory. The world promises these things but can't deliver them. Isaiah draws our attention to the main thing about the good news, the kingship of God. Isaiah helps us see that the gospel, the good news, is not first about you and me. As good as that is, it's not, the gospel is not about making evangelical community church great. It's not about restoring a political vision of utopia or about culture wars or even about what your favorite theological system is. The good news of Isaiah, the good news of Jesus Christ on Palm Sunday, the gospel is about the fact that the true God reigns in the person of Jesus Christ himself. And as followers of Jesus, we must make the reign of God the main thing. Christ must be our focus. Christ must be our song. Christ must fill our conversations. Christ must fill our dreams for ourselves and for others. There is no other good news. Do you you want this kind of good news? This is when you say yes. (laughs) 
Look around and you will see people clamoring for good news. Aren't they? Isn't that you? Isn't that me? Are you, you know, some are, are sitting in the wasteland and kind of wondering, is this it? Is this all life has to offer? Or, or do you look out and see the devastation of places like Ukraine and other parts of the world and think, who's going to fix this? Injustice abounds everywhere. We live in a world that, that cries out for justice. Where's the good news? Our good news is unfortunately often framed as, as uh, political wins. You know, our team won. Things are going to be better now. But then in the very next cycle, the other team wins, you know. And you ride this roller coaster. Or, or we frame the good news as, as freedom. You know, no one's going to tell us how to live. Freedom. Or be true to yourself, we tell ourselves. But from college campuses to to nursing homes, this has failed to be good news, hasn't it? It has failed to produce peace and goodness and salvation. You know, we even try to turn the Christian message into one about ourselves, don't we? Sometimes, we can present the gospel as if it's almost like a, like a get-rich scheme. You know, something like, hey, Jesus died for you, and if you pull this lever, you can have, be live forever. Great job, you. Good job, you. True? True in parts. Some great things about it that's true, but not all the truth. Because the good news of Isaiah and the good news of the gospel writers begins with God, not us. Begins with the reign of God. If if your first words about the gospel focus on what you get, then you're not speaking Isaiah's gospel. As good as the implications of the gospel are. See, we need to stop on Palm Sunday and be reminded what the good news actually is. It's the reign of God through Jesus Christ. It's that God has come back to restore his broken world and pull us into perfect delight in the Trinity himself. He has come as king to bring justice where we can't. He has come as king to wipe out evil where we haven't been able to. He has come as king to change our own brokenness inside of us, which we keep trying and keep trying and keep trying, but can't change. God wins. He wins it all. And and it's not like a nail-biter game to watch, is it? It's It's a total blowout. In verse 10, look at verse 10. At the end of this, this end of just this good news being pronounced in the reign of God, The prophet calls out, the Lord has bared his holy arm before the eyes of all the nations and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. See, his big win, to borrow from Tina Miller yesterday, his big win is so big 
that all the ends of the earth shall see the victory of our God. This is the most important win in all the universe. This is why missions exist. This is why the church exists. It's because of this grand victory of God in the cosmos. And it must shape us now on this Palm Sunday. This is what Jesus is announcing on the donkey. And and whether you've been a Christian for eight decades or you have never known what it means to follow Jesus, today, the Holy Spirit wants every one of us to be swept up in the good news of God's victory in the death and resurrection of Jesus. It's not enough to sit here and and watch Isaiah proclaim this good news. We have to go two more steps in this text. First, we, we have to say yes to this good news and declare that we are going to follow King Jesus. I suspect that that uh, some of us have never said yes to this good news. Say it today. I urge you, say it today. Declare your allegiance to Jesus in all his glory and in all his beauty and grace and goodness. Declare allegiance to that. Embrace the good news that God is king has conquered through the cross the evil outside of your life and the evil and the guilt that you feel inside of you. Because there is is hope in the wastelands when you turn to that king. After that, there's then a a second step that this text demands of us on Psalm, on Palm Sunday. The prophet calls the followers of God now to to embody with Jesus the proclamation of the good news in verse 7. So that it was Jesus coming down on this mountain, calling out the good news. And now as you are united to him, you are to join with him and call out this good news and proclaim it. This text beckons us to join in this vocation of the good news and to lift up our voices with the watchman of verse 8, and together embody to the world around us that our God reigns. Because the nations need to see the salvation, the victory of our God through us. That's how it works. We must We must grab hold of the the beauty of the reign of God in this text and grab hold of it and digest it and eat it and feel it in our bones and sink down deep into us because this is really good news. And then out of the overflow of our delight, then we embody it and we lift up and we're clothed in it. And we lift up the kingship of God everywhere we go. So the question is then, do the ends of the earth see the salvation in God in us? Do your neighbors, do your relatives, 
see the victory of God in you? Do they hear, do they hear a singular message of the reign of God and Christ coming from you? Or do they hear other allegiances mixed in, in different ways? If our message is that, that God is king again through Jesus, then we have to make sure that nothing else crowds out that message. We have to drop those things that are crowding out that message. We have to drop perhaps our preferences that can crowd those things out. So you need to ask yourself, what, what are the preferences that I hold on to that I have that need to die so that I don't distract from proclaiming the kingship of God in Christ to others? Then we can take it up a notch. Some homework for community groups. In your community groups this week, ask as a group, what are the preferences at ECC that have to die? That have to die so that we don't distract from the main thing. This main thing, the good news of God's reign through the death and resurrection of Jesus. Because that's what Isaiah and that's what Jesus are laser focused on. The waste places of Jerusalem found hope and no other message. When the reign of God, when the reign of God is not the main thing, the local church of God withers and dies. And when the main thing is not the reign of God in your life, you too will wither and die. But take heart. There, there is one who brings good news of peace and goodness and salvation. God really does reign in Christ. So let us join him in rejoicing in the hope of the gospel and join him in shouting it from the mountaintops to those who are in the wastelands. God works out his kingship through the church, making his kingship visible. And he does this through people like you and me. We don't need better arguments. We don't need more cultural wins. What we need is for the church of God to embody his kingship while setting aside our rights and our preferences so that the ends of the earth would see the beauty and the goodness and the victory of our God who has returned to make all things right again. Be encouraged. God reigns. He wins. And Easter, Easter's coming. Let's pray. By the power of your Holy Spirit, we ask, Father, that you would make the victory of God in the gospel of Christ visible through us. Would you draw us to yourself 
that we would swear allegiance to no other platform, no other king, but the reign of God himself would be what fills our mouth and fills our praise each day. Thank you that you do reign. We rejoice in that, O God. Give us right affections for these things that are true and beautiful and good. We pray all of this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.